we've got some good news to <laughs> announce. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I think we found a new location, uh, which will give us more room. As you can see, we left the ad out of the paper this last uh, week so that maybe we could reduce the number of people who come just a little bit. <laughs> As a matter of fact, this becomes such a problem, the number of people who come, and it was sort of distressing to some of us to see you all crowded together and not being able to uh, find a seat, that uh, one of our deacons suggested that when we did move, actually it was John Hunter's the man who's pa pacing nervously back and forth back there. <laughs> He suggested that when we move, we put an ad in the paper that said, the dispensable church has moved. Use your guidance. <laughs> the contract isn't signed yet, but uh, we've worked the thing out uh, verbally. And it's the uh, Seventh-day Adventist church the one with the doves, my uh, great aunt was in town recently and she drove by there and she said, oh, they left up their Christmas decorations. <laughs> but that's not true. That's, that's part of their, uh, of course, that comes from the Bible. And we're actually making little doves that we're going to pass around. That you can put, you know, that you can empty your wallets into purses. Uh, do you know the... Uh, the big red, uh, is that a, what is that? Masonic. It's a Masonic Lodge, yes. Now, that, that becomes Bishop's Lodge Road. It starts out, I think, as Washington, and then becomes Bishop's Lodge. It's all the same road. Do you know how we do in Santa Fe? We change the name every six blocks of the thing. So, so if you were to go back behind the post office and just go right beside that big red building, you would come to a little church on your left uh, that's the Seventh-day Adventist church and has little doves out there on the front. Uh, it's really a nice church, and we met with uh, some of the people there, and they're extraordinarily nice people. The, the, as a matter of fact, uh, we may get the minister over there to uh, do an opening or closing prayer in the last three services that we will hold here, this being the first of the last three. So we're moving... <laughs> May the 1st, uh, if if we work out everything, uh, as it looks as if we will. Let me say, uh, let me say a few things about a move, because in going around the country and talking at different churches, I have seen a number of churches move. And there are some sort of traditional problems that come up. One of them is that the ego takes the position that it, this is a miracle. This is just absolutely wonderful. And, uh, and so that, so that the, the new place is looked upon as a miracle. And, of course, this leads to inevitable disappointment. <laughs> and the other one that's even more common is uh, that we will lose some of the spirit or some of the feeling that we had in the old location. Now, this, some people will feel because this is a church that we are moving into, and it looks very much like a church. 
it actually has pews. <laughs> I'm convinced that pews were designed to be able to collect more money. And that's, you know, that's why we have, we have the great big open plates and everyone can see what you're putting in. And, uh, we'll take full advantage of that. I want you to realize that. <laughs> so there's the, they have, but they're nice padded pews. And there's a, there's a, <laughs> As a matter of fact, they're a little bit too comfortable. I was worrying about that. We'll, we'll have a stick to prod you in case you nod off. They've got a little mother's room with a big plate glass window where you can take your child and they can just scream all at once. <laughs> and no one will hear you. Uh, yet you can see the service. And they've got a nice kitchen. And we're going to, uh, as it looks now, we're going to have... Uh, uh, things for you to drink and eat after the service, so that if you'd like to stay around, you can. I think you all know that I, I meet with anyone who wants to meet after the service, but there also be the other the other deacons and so forth. For example, if you want to see the one with the black eye, you know you can make it. She <laughs> will be there. It's very important that we not rank ourselves against these people. Everyone has their own approach, and we are incapable of judging another's approach. We are incapable of ranking ourselves as to how far along we are on the spiritual path in comparison to some other person or some other group. And so I hope that we do not make that mistake. They have a different approach uh, slightly than we do. And one of the emphasis that the Seventh-day Adventists uh, place is on the passage in the Bible about the body being your temple. And so uh, just as in the girls' club here, uh, they have a very, very strict rule about smoking. And um, they, they like uh, all that is done to, uh, to reflect the... Uh, the uh, sacredness and the and the and the very uh, deep devotional feeling that they have for their church home, and so we want to respect that in every way that we can, taking care of it and policing up uh, afterwards uh, after ourselves outside. So, if you do light up outside, you know, it'd be a good thing to pick up your uh, cigarette butt, and we don't want to have imaginary conflicts with these people. This is a very common thing, I notice this, creating problems that don't really exist. The, the Seventh-day Adventists, because they have run into some religious persecution themselves, are great advocates of religious freedom. And so they are very uh, non-judgmental and will probably let us continue to be just as crazy as we were at the girls' club. <laughs> We will probably leave the notice out of the paper um, for a while, maybe uh, indefinitely. We'll probably have a notice that we have moved and give the address. But as you probably can sense, our purpose at the Dispensable Church is not uh, promotion and growth. It is purity. We want this to be a family, and we want our feeling here at this church to be as pure as it possibly can. 
And so we do not want to either shrink or grow or stay the same. None of that has any significance to what we're doing. And so we are not moving to a larger place in order to have more people, but merely to give the people that come here more room and a more comfortable setting. The speaker systems will be a little better and so forth. So we want to maintain that and, in fact, enhance it if we, if we can. We would like for you to feel that you haven't just come to hear a talk and then you leave, and if there is not something in the talk that helps you, then that's too bad. You just walk away. So we will try to create more of a, a family atmosphere there, and uh, we will try to be available to you if, if you have some problem. And so that's why we'll have that sort of sticking around period afterwards. As it stands now, we'll have the whole day and uh, the evening of Sunday, and we'll also have one day during the week. And possibly we will start a Course in Miracles study group, uh, maybe on Wednesday night. Bill DeFore is a Texan, of course. Of course. <laughs> and uh, you might want to know how Texans meditate, Texan mystics meditate. <laughs> I think you should learn this. What they say to themselves is, uh, move along, little doggy. <laughs> now, I want you all to say that, and I'll explain to you why you said it after you said it. You see, we're going to move into a real church, and we haven't been doing this recently, where the guy up front says something, and you say it right after you say it. <clears throat> this is very spiritual to do that. <laughs> So we've got to get this. You've got to do this before you can go in the full immersion baptismal. You've got to be able to do this. So here's what I want you to say. Move along, little doggy. <laughs> All right. On three. One, two, three. Move along, little doggy. Some of you held back. I saw that. <laughs> it's as if we have two minds, and it's as if we have two duties or functions, and you're probably beginning to sense that in your meditation and in your work, your work to awaken. There is tremendous work involved, especially in the beginning stages. Then it becomes sort of second nature, and then slowly it becomes first nature, becomes your nature to do this. But it's, it can be a little confusing if you read spiritual texts and you read A Course in Miracles and you listen to these talks and that kind of thing. It can almost sound as if these two functions are contradictory. Because on one hand, you're told that enormous effort is needed, great concentration is needed, and then on the other hand, you're told to just uh, watch your thoughts and uh, that there's nothing to do, there's no behavior. And on the surface of it, that appears to be a contradiction. But it's because we appear to be a split personality or a split mind that these two sets of instructions are needed. 
Possibly some of you have begun to sense the entering into consciousness of your self, of your, of your actual mind. It, it's almost like waking up. So it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of like uh, dozing and coming to sleep. You've seen someone, uh, Gail and John and I went to see uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, and uh, the sword in the rock or something like that and their stone uh, the sword in the stone with uh, John and there was a uh, man in front of us who uh, had how many sails to the wind <laughs> he had many sails to the wind <laughs> uh, and he would sort of wake up and uh, laugh, you know, and then go back to sleep and so forth. Uh, once he woke up and um, someone in the movie was flying and he started flapping his wings and that was evidently quite boring to him. He went right off to sleep. Uh, this is sort of the feeling. It's like we wake up and we go doze off and we wake up and we doze off. And it's like almost two realities. It's almost like stepping in one world and then into another. They're, quite, they're, they're so different. And this can be distressing because the higher ego enters in, the higher ego being that part of the ego which uh, mimics truth and uses truth to, to keep us in conflict, that can enter in and can say to us, well, you ought to stay in, in the world of light and peace and grace and happiness and love and so forth. And you're not doing that. And so we can get distressed about this. We can think that it shouldn't be that way. But of course it has to be that way in the beginning. When we start a spiritual path, this phenomenon does occur. And we must be prepared to forgive ourselves in advance for this. It's even helpful to, uh, to list your mistakes so that you get over the fear of mistakes. In this world, we have a tremendous fear of making a mistake because it can mean your life in this world if you make a mistake. It can mean a bankruptcy. It can mean the end of your marriage. It can mean the death of your child. It can mean all kinds of just horrible things. And so... Most of our time is actually spent trying to avoid mistakes, wondering what mistakes we might make and worrying about the fact that we're not doing anything to prepare ourselves against that. So the fear of mistakes must be overcome. And one way to do that is to tell yourself every time you make a mistake, you might even want to uh, number them. Just number them as you go through the day. Okay, I just made a mistake. That's number one. See, then you go. It's, you'll see that there's, you are not at a place where you can avoid mistakes. And you can also see that there is no uh, disaster that befalls you because you've made a mistake. It's just a, mis a little mistake. So you must prepare yourself for making mistakes. Forgive yourself in advance. And then take a closer look at this phenomenon of two minds.
So the one mind goes by many names and many terms. These even seem to contradict because the words within this world mean such different things. There's the word uh, now, the present. Many systems use almost this, uh, this word alone for uh, the goal of the spiritual path. It's a, it's a completely sufficient word or term. Time seems to be in little compartments. As if, it's as if there are little rooms and you open a door and you find certain things in, in certain times. So it, if you open the door to the past, then you will see certain things, certain memories, certain occurrences. You open the door to the future and uh, you imagine certain other things. But it doesn't seem like it. It seems like you can actually tell what's going to happen. You actually know what's going to happen. It's another door. It's a different time. Those are even divided into what just happened, what happened a long time ago, what's about to happen, some future goal that you may be spending your life uh, working toward. But it's in the future. And then you open the, the door now. It just seems like one more door. It's not just one more door. It contains God. It contains yourself. It contains reality. These are all just words. In the beginning, they, they, they just sound like words and they feel, some of them feel strange and some of them don't. But when you open the door now, it means you love God. It means that there's, that you want to feel reality a little bit, even if it's for a few seconds. It means that you, for a moment, put more value on love than on worrying and attack and gossip and fretting and tension and all this stuff. Just for a moment, you choose peace instead of conflict. And so you open the door now. Or you open the door God. Or you open the door self. And that's why putting all of your attention on washing the dishes is turning to God. Doesn't seem like it would be, does it? But you can actually feel the present enter your mind. It's like waking up. It's like dozing and suddenly you wake up for a few seconds. You remember the present. And you'll begin to get a sense of something that feels almost like another mind entering your consciousness. Notice that it feels more like you. It has more substance. You seem to be more located a little bit more in this business of, oh, there's the present. I forgot about the present. Now, that, of course, is the concentration. To be in the kingdom is merely to focus your full attention on it says A Course in Miracles. To be in the kingdom is merely to focus your full attention on it. So, one way of describing a spiritual path, or waking up, or enlightenment, or becoming a decent, kind person, all those things are the same thing. Or becoming happy. Being happy. Being consistently happy. And having a growing sense 
of happiness and peace in your life. Another way of describing that, another way of talking about that, is to see it as the entering of a different reality, the coming of a different self. Now, as we've said so often here, it is not necessary, and as a matter of fact, it is impossible for you to experience what we're talking about here before you try to experience it. You must try to experience it before you will begin to experience it. And in the early stages of a spiritual path, it will appear as if it is all for nothing. Because there will not be any dramatic change in the world. Things will not get better because you have begun a spiritual path in the world. Things may get better, but it will be a coincidence. It, 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 don't pay any attention to it. It doesn't mean a thing. So in regard to this reality this self, there is the injunction that we must concentrate. We want to be in the kingdom, and so we focus our full attention on it. That is all that's necessary to do, in a sense. If you could do that one thing, you wouldn't need to do anything else. If you could fix your gaze, your spiritual vision, on the light of God, then leaving this world would be the simplest thing in the world because there isn't anything in the world to, to hold you here. You are not tied down by anything. You're not tied down by your past mistakes or your personality or the particular way you have chosen does not limit you. This is another mistake that people make, of course, is they, they go from one way to another to another without ever beginning a spiritual path. They're just studying ways. To begin a spiritual path without ever beginning one. You're not limited by the way that you choose the best possible way. In the world, there is no perfect way to begin a spiritual path. You will never find a, 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 a spiritual system that will completely satisfy your ego. It will seem to have great faults. But if it's the best you can think of, then go ahead and begin there. And that approach is approach of concentration. So you turn your thought to God. You turn your thought to peace, to love. You focus on that. That is one side of the coin. That's one of the things that you must do. That's why you wish to stop as often as you remember during the day and just turn your gaze toward God, toward truth, toward love. Now, Another way of describing this, and one that's more controversial because it's been so misused, but one that you may grow to love more than the way I've just talked about it, is to talk about it in very personal terms and to use the word Jesus. Now, A Course in Miracles, uh, if you are a student of A Course in Miracles, then Jesus is your teacher. Even though A Course in Miracles uses the word Jesus, I think, only two or three times in the whole book. 
It's written in the first person. Those of you who studied it know. And the standpoint is unquestionably Jesus. It isn't necessary that you take up a course in miracles. But that happens to be the teaching aid that we use at this church. It is a, it is a very, very good teaching aid. It is as complete and perfect as a teaching aid can be in this world. Now, one of the perceptions, you see, in this world, of course, there are, all, there are various levels of perception. You've seen that, of course, in growing up as a child. There are things that you were aware of, and then as you grew up, you became aware of other things. And then you began reading books, the Dancing Wooly Masters, or whatever book you began reading. And you begin to realize, oh, there's even stuff beyond that. And maybe you began studying a little uh, self-hypnotism or you dabbled in uh, yoga or something. And oh, something else is going on you didn't you see. So there are all these levels. Now, one of the levels that many of you may not be aware of, and it's nothing to be frightened of, but one of the, one of the levels that you may not be aware of is what could be called the higher Teachers, I don't want to sound weird. You know, this is all this stuff I realize is misused terribly. But you don't, you wouldn't hesitate to pick up the phone and call a doctor. And as you get on a spiritual path, you wouldn't hesitate to go to make an appointment with uh, someone uh, who could help you. Uh, Lauren Roach, for example, is very good at teaching meditation here in this town. The city. It's in California right now. But let's say that you made an appointment to, to learn how to meditate. You wouldn't hesitate to do that because Lauren Roach is a name of a body. And so that doesn't seem to be anything weird about that. When a person lays aside his or her ego, then of course, the body disappears, as happened with Muktananda recently. It's not that the body disappeared, but what I mean is that he, he left the world, left his body behind. Muktananda, for those who see him as teacher, did not go anywhere. As a matter of fact, many of the people who follow Muktananda are probably having an easier time turning to him now than they did before because the belief that he was nothing but a body is now taken from them. They cannot believe that. And so they now must begin to turn to him as a mind. And that's why uh, many of the Eastern people have you uh, make a little altar and put the, the picture of a, of a guru there which many Westerners think is just awful. Just as many uh, Easterners think that uh, eating our own God, as we do in, in the ceremony in church, is pretty awful. It just depends on how you look at it, you see. But they look at the picture and they turn to a mind, a presence. Now, those of you who are students of the Course in Miracles, 
If you are a student of A Course in Miracles, whether you realize it or not, you have decided to make Jesus your teacher. And Jesus didn't go anywhere. It didn't make it doesn't make any difference if he was just crucified yesterday. If he had just been crucified yesterday, you might have an easier time turning to him, thinking that somehow he was more present than he is uh, a thousand years, two thousand years later. And so it is all right to have a personal sense of help. And it is all right to turn to something that you do not see with your, your eyes and to ask for help. Please don't be embarrassed to do You don't have to discuss this with other people. It is so embarrassing for people to do this in the beginning. They think it's so weird because their whole education has been brought up. There are no monsters. There are no ghosts. You know, we're told that as we, as we look at television and so forth. And of course, in the sense that that's being spoken of, it's true. You don't have to do this, but don't hold yourself back out of a sense of embarrassment. It's all right to ask for help. And I would like for you, those of you who can do that right now, I would like for you to do that. It's sometimes easier to do that with other people. That's why prayer groups are sometimes very, very nice things. Uh, because it takes away that sense of embarrassment and so forth. You're surrounded by people who... We don't see anything weird about this. There are people who would see it weird going to study uh, meditation. You see? And yet many of you have done that. So let's do that now just for a moment. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to just close your eyes. And uh, think of it as uh, some silly game on a ship. You know, there's someone who uh, who is ahead of all the extracurricular activities there on the ship, and you're taking this cruise, and they just ask you to to uh, play. Uh, what's the thing where you step forward? You know, Simon says. Simon says. You would play it. All right. This is cr I know it's crazy. Simon says. All right. Now we're going to play. Jesus says. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. Once you close your eyes, don't don't be afraid to do this. Close your eyes. And assume, just assume that maybe what I'm telling you is true. That Jesus is right there with you. Right this second knows everything you've been through, what you're going through now, and has been helping you all along. You didn't realize this, but there were these little whisperings in your mind that went, went almost unnoticed, little encouragements that brought you back to a safe and good walk. He's with you now. Mentally reach over and take his hand now, just reach over and take his hand and fall back into his arms. Just fall back into love. Fall back into love. Do you see how loved you are? 
That's what we don't believe. We don't think we're loved. Okay, you can open your eyes. Now, that's all there is to guidance. What do you do as you go through the day and you're conflicted? You feel a conflict. It might be good to notice how often you feel conflicted as you go through the day. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to decide. Something's come up. There's this thing going on inside you about it. A little thing over and over and over again. 10,000 times a day you're conflicted about something. Gail told me that she was uh, driving down St. Francis with the thought in mind of buying some grapes. And uh, she said uh, the following subject went through her mind. Uh, Skaggs Alpha Beta has cheaper grapes than uh, less expensive, less expensive grapes than Albertsons. But the co-op has even cheaper grapes. I don't like to go to the co-op, but they have cheaper grapes. So she went to the uh, co-op. See, last time they're out of grapes at the co-op. Can't tell. It's very risky to go there for grapes. <laughs> and there's a, an actual feeling of terror about the fact that you might make a mistake. You may go there. They may be out of grapes. And then what? <laughs> the universe will say, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Ah, but they weren't out of grapes. They had them for a dollar forty-nine. I've got this in my notes. <laughs> They've got them for a dollar forty-nine a pound. You see, she was feeling very good about this. She drove away from the co-op, not going down the one-way lane, going down the right way. Now, then she said, "Ah, but they don't have Thatcher's milk. I'll have to go to Albertsons anyway." She went to Albertsons, and guess what? <laughs> Grapes were on sale for 99 cents. <laughs> now, this isn't this the way the day goes? It's, it's actually, it's, it's funny, but it's sad when you're in it, isn't it? Because it's, it's like, it's very difficult to be in this world. It is very difficult to be in this world. You, can, you might want to know why would anybody would do something so crazy as to lay aside their body and become one with God. It's because it, it's, this kind of thing is the one of the mill. Do you see? This is what goes on all the time. I wonder if I should have uh, shredded wheat. Get up in the morning. Shredded wheat. And then you actually shred your wheat. You didn't read the label, did you? It said shredded wheat. It's already shredded, and you shred it, you see. That's like cheering your Cheerios. <laughs> or checking your rice checks. How many rice checks do I have? <laughs> They've already been checked. <laughs> yeah. So there's this vague sense of failure as you shred the shredded wheat. <laughs> yeah. Now here's all you have to do. Here's all you have to do. You're going through the day and there's these little conflicts. And um, 
should you bring up this subject? Would it be wrong to bring up this subject with so-and-so? That kind of thing. Um, you know, the hundreds of things. Now, when you feel a sense of conflict, do what you just did a couple of minutes ago. Close your eyes, take Jesus' hand, and fall back in his love for you. Just fall back into it. And you'll feel a sense of peace. So you forget the problem. You, you, as best you can, you realize that it's not important. This is not an important conflict. Use whatever mental trick you need to to get your perspective. Pretend looking up at the stars and seeing how minuscule is this earth. And then look at this conflict. And fall back into love. It's a very personal sense of love. And then ask yourself, you see, Jesus represents yourself until you wake to yourself. That's what goes off. So you've got a self, but it's, it's, it's nodding. It's napping. It's dozing. It's fitful at the moment. It's wake one minute and it's not. You don't have anything consistent. So Jesus or the Holy Spirit or the Atman or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't make any difference what you call it. Spiritual sense or a thousand names, your higher self. Doesn't matter what you call it. Course in Miracles calls it the Holy Spirit. Represents yourself until you awaken to yourself. And so this is what we do with our own children, isn't it? We represent an intelligent approach to life until our child can see what an intelligent approach to life is. I'm, I'm, when we're good parents, we do that. And so you fall back into peace and then you ask yourself, because that's what it feels like, what do I want to do? This sends the, arrow, the, uh, the ego screaming in stark terror. For you to say, what do I want to do? This is much too simple and direct an approach for your ego. Just fall back into peace. Hold Jesus' hand. Get comfortable with truth a little bit. And say, what do I want to do? Now you have turned the decision over to Jesus. You turn the decision over when you do that. Because that's the way you'll be guided. This is a much easier and safer and less anxiety-provoking procedure than to ask for guidance and listen for some sort of words. I'm not saying that your guidance won't come in words, but I'm telling you that the words are the same as the peace of God. And so Instead of trying to do all this stuff in some unusual way, do it in the natural, easy way. You become peaceful, and then you say, what would I like to do? And the thing is so simple, it just irons out right there before you. If you've let go of your ego a little bit, and the investment. So that's the concentration. That's the one side of the coin that we've been talking about. Now, what do you do with the other part of your mind, your ego? What do you do with it? Because on the one hand, 
You focus your full attention on the kingdom, on truth, on love, on peace. But what do you do with your ego mind? Because that's the, that's the state that we're going back and forth between. Well, you, you just watch it. You move along, little doggy. That's what you say to the thought. You simply watch it and make sure that it doesn't get stuck. Uh, a doggy is a uh, stray calf or a, a motherless calf. I don't know if you've ever, of course you haven't. You're not like David and the rest of us from Texas. You haven't seen this. But if you've been out on the plains of the Panhandle like we have, then you would have seen what happens to a little stray calf or a motherless calf. It goes around to all the ca uh, to all the cows and tries to melt them. And it gets in lots of trouble doing this. It's, it gets butted and it gets run around and everything. Maybe you've seen that with a... Uh, a dog that doesn't, a little puppy that doesn't have its mother, or any animal that doesn't have its its mother, it will try to nurse off of the thing that looks closest to its mother. You see, thing it can get close, you know, and gets in lots of trouble. Do you see? Now that's what your ego is doing. It is out looking for trouble. It is try, out trying to nurse things that don't have anything to give it. It's, it's out there seeking. You're, you're, one part of your mind is constantly raking over everything, trying to get blood out of a turnip. And it's not going to succeed in doing that. What is your function in regard to that? You just watch it, and you say, move along, little doggy. Say that. Move along, move along little doggy. That's right. That's all you need. So you've got the magic words now. Because it will find its mother if it moves along. It's not going to find it as long as it stops at all this. It's not going to find its mother. So that is your function in regard to the ego. You just watch it. You monitor it and make sure it doesn't get fixated. This is a very, very interesting process. And it's absolutely essential to your spiritual growth. You cannot avoid this. You have got to undertake this exercise sooner or later. You've got to be aware of what your ego is doing. And what it's doing is it's looking for trouble. And it gets stuck. And as soon as it gets stuck, your function is to step in and just move it along. Let it roam all over the world. It doesn't matter. Don't be horrified at what it is looking at and what it's thinking about. It thinks about the most bizarre, weird, cruel, embarrassing, licentious, everything else she can think of, kinds of things. Don't suddenly take this personally. <laughs> it doesn't matter that it just thought of such and such. It matters whether or not it got stuck there. If it got stuck there, then you want to enter in and move it along. So, in washing dishes driving a car, doing all these things. You let the day unfold uh, like a blossom. We have all these blossoms. Uh, I watered a, 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 a plum tree. Was that a plum tree? An apricot. I watered an apricot tree. And I came back half an hour later, and it had burst. All the blooms, had, all the flowers had burst. I'd never seen it. I didn't know it could happen that fast. 
they're, I guess they're all just waiting there, they say. So a flower opens petal by petal if you've watched it, if you've seen movies of it, or if you've ever had a plant that does this at night. Petal by petal. Your day opens in the same way. <coughs> event by event. So what you do is you watch each petal as it opens. You put your full attention on the event that's at hand. You do not rank that event. Now if you rank that event, then of course you're going to... Uh, well, one of the things that can happen is that you start one thing and then well, you start making the bed and, and uh, you don't have a pillowcase. And so you go into the restroom and uh, to get the pillowcase and uh, you see that someone has splattered toothpaste on the mirror. Now, is this more important than making the bed? You see, the ego says. Hmm. You decide that it is and you, and you, begin, you clean, begin cleaning the uh, mirror. Ah, but you don't have any uh, Windex, you see. And so you go into the kitchen. And what do you see? Someone has been counting their rice checks on the counter there. <laughs> now, is this more important than the mirror? Uh, to clean this up, you see. Oh, it's more important. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? You don't have to make a rule about completing what you began. I'm not saying that. But if you, if you rank what you're doing, if you think that there's something in this world that's more important to do than what you're doing, then you're going to be conflicted about it. You're not walking home when you're conflicted about it. And so give it your full attention. Don't rush towards some hour on the clock. Don't rush towards completing the event. Don't rank the event. Don't judge the event. Don't second guess how you just did the event. While you've, now you've begun something else and you're looking back and seeing what a mess you made of the last thing and now you're not going to have your attention on the next pedal. You may have made a mess of the last one, but now there's a new petal opening up. All you have to do is concentrate on this event. <coughs> this event. So you're driving your car. Now, what do you do when you drive your car? Well, you have someone with you as you drive your car. You may have someone there, like a, a child or a spouse or a friend or something like that. Or you may have Jesus with you. It doesn't matter how you think of all this. So, of course, you can do more than one thing at a time. You drive the car, and you drive it with quality. Concentrate on driving the car and driving it well, and at the same time, putting your mental arm around this person who's with you and talking to them about what they want to be talked to about, listening, listening to them. Don't let your mind roll, race off to the future. There's nothing there for you. God isn't in that door. You can open the door to the future, or you can open the door to the past, but you won't find God there. You won't find yourself there. You will take no step forward when you do that if you concentrate on driving well and talking lovingly and kindly and patiently and happily to the person who sits beside you or the car full of screaming children. If you do that, you're walking home. Because you cannot be in the present without being in the presence of God.
question comes up often, how am I to relate to other people on a spiritual path? So what do you do with these two sides of your mind if you're in the presence of another person? If you're walking down the street with them, or driving the car with them, or you're sitting at dinner with them, or whatever. What do you do with the two parts of your mind? Know nothing about them except your oneness. That's what you concentrate on. You know nothing about this person except your oneness with them. So you forget everything you think you know about this person. You cannot see them. You cannot relate to them. Your mind is in the past if you think you know anything about another individual. Because what you think you know about them is merely their ego past. And you've got that wrong. So know nothing about them except your oneness with them. Now, what do you do with your ego part of the mind? That's the concentration. That's what you dwell on. The light, the gentleness, the peace, the love. The fact that this is a human being. The fact that this is someone who's been through the same kinds of things that you've been through in life. What do you do with the other part of your mind? Well, it's as if, have you ever run across someone, they walk up to you and say hello or something, and you vaguely remember them? You don't, you can't remember the name, you can't remember where you saw them or whether it's someone from your distant past or what's happened, but there's just someone there. That's the way you want your ego mind to be about this person. It does remember the history of this person, the history of your relationship with this person. But what you want to do is to keep it vague. Let it chatter on and on about what this person's like and what they've done and all this and everything you think you know about them but you keep it vague you vaguely remember their history but you concentrate on the light and you let people approach you like the rays of the rising sun you know how gentle the sun's rays are in the morning when the sun's coming up you would never think of defending yourself against those gentle rays, would you? The sun is coming up, and the first rays begin to hit you. How gently, they, they, how gently the sun begins to warm you and cover you with light. This is how you let other people approach. Do not rush toward them mentally, anxiously, trying to figure out what to say. You let them come to you just as you would let the rays of the sun come to you in the morning. You wouldn't defend yourself against it at all. And what do you say to them? Have you ever watched some large water bird take off from a lake? Have you noticed the slow, beautiful way that a water bird takes wing from the water? This is how you let your words come out of your mouth. You let them rise up from the lake of peace within you. Do not be in a rush to speak, to be amusing, to be clever, to be witty, to be informed, to know their name, to anything. Just let the words rise up. Now, you see, we would rather attack than we would experience the discomfort of a few moments of silence. Silence is a terrifying thing to the ego 
because there's no ego in silence. So it means, in effect, the annihilation of the ego to the degree that you are silent, that you're truly, deeply silent. I don't mean just verbally silent. And one of the hardest things that you will have to do on a spiritual path is to question the idea that it is fun to attack other people while you are talking to someone. Because so much of conversation is on this. Someone will be brought up for a little light ridicule. Just a little happy jabbing, you see. And notice how often this happens in conversation. And it seems like so much fun. And the person obviously wants to do this. And so what do you do? Because the person wants to talk about this and they want to tell you what so-and-so did and so forth. Notice that in order not to experience the discomfort of silence, you would rather attack because it's familiar. So you go to the attack thinking that this is happy and fun. It's a way of putting the other person at ease and so forth. Instead of just being confused a moment and not knowing what to do, it is better to be confused than it is to attack your brother. It is better to be confused than it is to take sides against your sister. You must let go of this sooner or later. This hinders your walk home. It is not fun to attack another person, to make light of them, to make jokes about them, to tell depreciating tales about them, to rail against them, or to rail against anything a government or a society or anything else. This is not a fun thing to do, although the ego thinks it's the most fun there is. It isn't. Choose confusion if you need to rather than do this. But wait and let the words rise from your peace like this magnificent water bird. You will say something eventually. You see? Time's over. Um, and we're going to have a little song. And hopefully we'll see you again uh, next week at uh, our new church home.